would have loved to spend two and a half million dollars on a house in freshwater. And at that stage, that was what my portfolio was worth. But yeah. I was living in a share house, in a share apartment, renting a room because I would rather spend $250 on a room and have four properties that all had income coming in and I was positive cash flow and continued to, I still had the, you know, that $2.5 million worth of property, but other people were paying my mortgage. And I was actually positive cash flow by five or $600 a week, which was then paying down more debt and giving me more um, money for, for another deposit for, for another property. You're listening to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard. Here's your host, Tabitha Bright. Welcome to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard where I get to speak to property investors from around Australia about their investing journey. My name's Tabitha Bright and I'm the head of coaching here at Positive Real Estate where we help people build wealth through property. With over 8,000 clients across Australia and New Zealand, there are some incredible stories to tell which hopefully make your investing journey that little bit easier and will inspire you along the way. So my guest today is Michael Mangano, and we discuss how he has saved every cent since he was 10, buying real estate in the GFC and COVID, which, you know, took some real courage and living frugally while accumulating wealth. And then as he and his partner made the leap to upgrading their lifestyle and what precipitated that. So enjoy this conversation with Michael. All right. So today I've got Michael. How do I say your surname? I should know this. Mangano? Uh, Mangano, but in Italian it's Mangano. Ah, I need to to get better with my my pronunciations. Fondly, um, as part of the PRE and R&W family, fondly known as Mickey, um, amongst, um, amongst his peers. So you'll hear me refer to Michael as Mickey. And um, Michael's been, Mickey's been good enough today to come and share some of his stories of building his portfolio. So, Mickey, awesome to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And we're going to jump straight in because over the last sort of few podcasts I've been doing, I've had some crazy stories that have come out of the woodwork. Stuff like I had one client whose property manager rang them and said, your tenant's having naked seances out the back and the neighbours are complaining. They're doing like literally devil worship in your backyard. And there was another client that had um, bikers living unbeknown to him in his property. And he went around to do an inspection and there were something like 20 headless chickens all hanging from a clothesline in the backyard. So God knows what they were doing with that stuff. So my first, my first question to you was, has anything happened, anything happened for you that is crazy with your property or have you been a bit blessed and lucky in that space? Um, I would say a bit blessed and lucky, but uh, anything to do with property. I, I guess the, the hardest thing I've gone through with property was, is probably the house I'm in now. Um, I, I purchased in, um, in COVID times, uh, right at the start of COVID. I, I make a habit of it. I, I bought my first property during the GFC and then my <laughs> most recent one during COVID. 
So uh, that one was interesting because I bought a property, got a pest and building inspection uh, report done. Um, The agent said to me, yep, look, there have been termites. It was common knowledge, but it's been treated as in post, done, dusted. So when I read the uh, termite report, I said, okay, this is what's been done rather than this isn't an ongoing uh, treatment. Uh, unbeknownst to me, settled the property, started renovating straight off the bat, as you do, and found some active termites, called up the termite company. No, 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 this is an ongoing baiting treatment that could take a couple of months. It could be six months. And I'd already ripped down jib rock. I've got framework and everything like that going on. So that was uh, about three or four months of half the house already ripped apart and we couldn't touch anything because it can scare away the termites and they could come back in six months uh, and go back to the same uh, same nest. So we had to live that way for three or four months during winter. Um, my <laughs> partner wasn't very happy with that. Uh, neither was I, but that was interesting. Um, and then, yeah, the, the 12-month reno turned into two years with doing an owner-builder, doing DAs yourself, uh, trying to do a lot of the renovations yourself at nights and weekends and, and uh, everything like that. So... Uh, we're, we're right on the, the end. We've probably got about six weeks to go, hopefully. Fingers oh, crossed. Oh. <laughs> Double fingers crossed. I'm crossing Double my toes. Fingers. You can't see it. So it sound, <laughs> sounds like there's a heap of lessons in amongst all of that. So mm-hmm. if we backpedal, the first thing I heard, because I got my coaching ears on, right? The first thing I heard was the agent told you it was done. You looked at the report. What made you go thumbs up? This is all kosher because whenever um, I hear an agent say it's all good, that's when I yeah, start to double I, down. <laughs> I think it was more along the lines of I knew there was an issue and I yeah. did my my DD. I got the building inspection report, the termite report. I knew there had been termites and that was like a known, but it's how you read that report and you sort of have a little bit of trust going, okay, well, there have been termites. It, it's done, but uh, maybe I should have. I called up the... The, the builder actually um, ah. just have a chat about that. But I should have really had a chat to the, the termite people and the pest people and clarify the situation on that front, which uh, I've learned my lesson and <laughs> I will definitely and buying a property that's in the millions, even a rundown old asbestos <laughs> shack, I will still be calling <laughs> up to make sure that everything is hunky-dory. Ah, so I just heard asbestos and amongst all of that as well. Yeah, so asbestos cladding, uh, which, um, yeah, it, it's another thing that um, it, it actually had f- cement fibre sheeting, f- cement fibre oh, yes. sheeting yep. six or seven times down the report and on somewhere down on the 30th page it said uh, small chance of asbestos sheeting. So because the, uh, the owner got the building inspection report and the, the termite report done to provide to uh, potential buyers. And, and in this scenario, a lot of people will do this because it costs you $100 to get access to those reports instead of paying three to $500 for both reports. It's, it's more yep. cost-effective if you're looking at lots of properties. But that yep. also means that the building uh, inspection report is done for the owner, which means that they will structure and word it in a way that is you know, leaning towards what the owner would want, which I think sometimes you've got to toss up. Do you just spend that extra money and get your own, you know, reports done? I know it costs a lot more, but, you know, Mm. 
recutting the business, a right? whole house and getting rid of asbestos yeah. is expensive. So yeah. anyway, I know, asbestos, yeah, yeah, I know what the sound of asbestos look, sounds like now. Right. So if I tap on a wall, I'll know exactly what it sounds like. So you talk about that, that, learning things and that's definitely something I've learned. That's a great skill. My father, yeah. he's a serial renovator, so you'd probably get on well with him. He's a graphic designer by trade, but he's pretty much a registered builder. Like he, he yeah. can build anything. And he has something that we fondly call um, repilers stomp. So yeah. when he walks around the house, he always does the little dance where he stomps on the floor from room to room. Or the little the, tap uh, on the wall and yeah. all those little, you know, <laughs> intricate moves that you do. Yeah, that skill has not been passed on to me. Yeah. I'd prefer to uh, not be as hands-on. But, you know, it's a, it's a great way to get yourself a leg up in the, um, in the property ladder if you have got that time. And, I mean, I know how hard you work. I know the hours you put in, um, in your, uh, we'll call it your day job. Um, yeah. So to find the time to renovate and deal with all of that, how did you manage that? I think it's about just uh, making the time. Um, uh, like mm. I, I would do, you know, I, I'm a, I remember when we first bought the place, this is the first room we did. I'm sitting at the moment in our um, master bedroom. I've got a desk here for the moment while I'm, yeah. I'm repainting the one of our bedrooms at the moment, which is usually yeah. my study. And um, I would be in here till midnight just, you know, sanding back walls, rejib rocking, patching, painting. Um, I just made the time at night or every weekend. It was also COVID time, so it was perfect because um, I couldn't go out. Like, we're at home. Nice. And I had a, yeah. a set budget. Uh, why would I go spend money going to a pub or, or anything like that? And I'm not someone who buys new stuff anyway, so uh, I, I'm not the best oh. dressed and I don't have all the, the latest gadgets. So every dollar is spent uh, at the moment to, to finish a renovation or started at that stage. Interesting. And, and so this, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Um, because I think you're pretty smartly dressed most of the time. You just kind of flatter me, I understand. <laughs> well, I have to flatter you. You're doing this podcast. I'm so appreciative. <laughs> I really, I do. I really appreciate you sharing because um, I was saying to Sam, I had a gap and he was like, you got to interview Mickey. And I was like, okay, cool. What's Mickey done? He was like, oh man, he's done so much. He's done so well. I'm, you know, I'm really proud of him. And to have that accolade from Sam is massive for a starting point and to, to be okay to share it because a lot of people yeah. don't want to share and put out what they've achieved out there. And so what I'm hearing from you, because I'm beginning to get a bit of a theme happening, I've done, I don't know, maybe 25, 26 podcasts, and there's some commonalities and some themes that flow through this. One of the things is the people that are, are successful have some rules around what they spend money on and what they do with their time. And their rules might be slightly different, but there is that common theme coming through. So you don't necessarily have all the latest gadgets. You don't spend a lot of money on, I don't know, I don't even know the brands. I'm a bit like you. Um, you mean Target? Fake, hey? Target? That's my brand. <laughs> Target to you. Target to you. Yes, Target. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the car I drive, I actually splurged to get the car I wanted, but it's now eight years old and it's keeps getting dinged and it's full of freaking dirt. So, you know, I, I, I am a big, <laughs> hey? 
16 year old car here. Oh. <laughs> the last one I had, I drove until it started smoking and I figured that wasn't very good for the environment. So, you know, I, I think you do have to be really conscious of what you spend your money on. Um, mm. And I think that it's not about not having fun and not enjoying life because you've done a lot. So take me through, you bought your first property at 20. Yep. And then what happened? Um, well, a month after I settled the property, I'd, I'd already booked a, an overseas holiday with one of my best mates. And I'd never been overseas before, didn't know what it was going to be like. And I was a fresh-faced 20-year-old who, who was taking a holiday, in essence. And I landed in, in Thailand and, and Laos and did a, a month over there. Awesome. I'd, I'd never seen something that wasn't Australia and different cultures and foods and, and everything like that. And it sort of opened my eyes to what was out there. And my, my whole idea at that stage was from the age of 10, which I'll get into later, was to buy a property, keep buying, get a million dollars worth of property by the age of 30 because I knew what mm. property would do. And I think when I got back, my priorities shifted slightly. I really wanted to travel. I wanted to go to Europe and I wanted to go traveling for long periods of time. And I, I'd already purchased one, so I, I paid down the debt as quickly as I could. I even had a, a one-bedroom apartment which had a, a double-height garage and had a loft area in there. My mate was at uni finishing off his degree and, um, and then he worked for PwC. And he was working at PwC earning peanuts and he would let, rent out that loft for $150. This is, this is Northern <laughs> Beach, you know, what, 15 years ago? But that's, that was awesome. cheap. That was yeah. cheap. So um, it was just about paying down that debt. And then when I got to the age of 24, I, I went traveling for a year, then moved to Sweden for a year and then traveled again for another year. So three years away. Um, and that sort of changed my, my perspective on, on what I wanted to do. But I still came back from traveling, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And I, I hopped into a, a couple of jobs, one being in the, in the solar industry for a while and another one for recruitment, which I hate recruitment. It was just the worst job ever. <laughs> Sorry for any recruiters out there, but you do a great job and I, I would never want to go back into that industry ever again. <laughs> um, but then um, ended up bumping into someone I went to primary school with actually, and that's Brennan, Brennan Latimer. Uh, uh, so, I didn't know you went to primary yeah, school with Breno. I did, I did. So we used to oh. jump on our skateboards and, and skate around his street and go through <laughs> the garage into the back grass through his house. Um, and, yeah, bumped into him when I was out and we had a chat and he tried to recruit me and I said, thank you, but no thank you. I, I wouldn't want to work with friends. And long story yeah. short, ended up going for a couple of other interviews with other agencies for similar similar roles and asked yep. for his opinion and um, popped into the office and actually got interviewed by Sam. And I wasn't here for an interview, I was just here for a chat to get his insight into these other companies, but found that what he had there was tenfold better than what I'd been offered elsewhere. So we, we started that conversation and been here six years. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. And it's been awesome working with you over the years. Um, you know, you and I are in, we talk about whether you bleed blue or you're um, R&W red, uh, but really um, we're far more interconnected than we ever used to be. And we rely heavily on you guys from your property management to resales for clients to market information and so forth. It's um, It's awesome having you guys as part of our team. And 
understanding the retail market is so different for, um, you know, for somebody like myself who's never been a retail agent, understanding the retail world is super important. Your goals when you were 20, because you're 35 today. Yep. Um, tell me about what were your goals when you were 20? You bought this property. I mean, that's a, a big purchase for a young person about to go overseas. Yeah. So that takes some, <laughs> some courage. Yep. Well, I'd, I'd been saving since I was about 10 and every bit of Christmas money or every job I had since I was 12, paper runs and oh. working at Woolies or food works or hospitality or anything, but all my money. Yeah, well, the, long story short on that one, my, my parents Please. split when I was 10 and that's when I went into our local paper, which is the Manly Daily with a highlighter. And I'd be looking for an apartment. My dad bought, he ended up buying a two-bedroom apartment that I'd highlighted and, and did all that in Avalon. And then um, ended up finding his house in Bogola Plata. So he bought that in 1999 for $499,000, which yep. you could buy one for that price now. Uh, they're probably worth anywhere from two and a half to, to $3 million for that same property wow. in, uh, in, what, 22 years? So a bit of growth wow. for them. That's um, nothing. But even when we were looking at 1997 and 1998, they were 350 and they jumped to 500. So even in that time period. So I guess I saw that and I, I thought, well, if, if that can be so much of a wealth creation strategy just to buy something and hold it and buy good property and, and you know, how else are you going to earn money, save 20% of your wage and is that going to get you through and, and allow you to do what you want with your life? No, not at all. You've got to invest. That's quite a unique outlook for a 10-year-old. <laughs> well, I knew <laughs> I liked property as well. It was, I don't know, it excited me when I was doing it. So I always knew I wanted to buy property. So it was, I guess, yeah. again, I never bought the, the new phones, computers, clothes, everything like that. So it was all saving. And I guess when you when you come from that sort of mindset, Italian dad who's, you know, property, 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 mum was quite yeah, savvy. Pay it off, pay it yeah. off, yep. Yeah, so they they were always along that same lines of save your money, buy a property, everything like that, which is lucky for me because I liked it as well and I had that, that backing and that education around that of, you know, it, it will do well because um, otherwise um, I had, I met so many people travelling who they're getting back home with, not a dollar in their bank account or not knowing what they're going to do. Um, and we know property is a, a, a long-term strategy. So uh, you buy something, you hold on to it and, and you do well. Yeah. And that whole long-term strategy thing, sometimes I know it can be something that we struggle with. Um, we read results and we see these results. Like, I, I know I had a similar trajectory. We arrived in Australia in 97 and I remember looking around thinking we probably need to buy something. I'm in Melbourne. I was looking around, around Paran and South Yarra when I started looking. They were around 300, 350 for, yeah. a, you know, a single-fronted cottage. And then by the time I purchased, I paid around 400 for um, the place I'm still in today. Yeah. And, um, and I remember thinking, oh, my God, I've overpaid. Like, I've you know, I've just done the stupidest thing ever because it seemed like so much money. I had a $350,000 mortgage and I would sweat it at night because um, 
I myself had a property when I was 20. I got married young. Some of you might have seen previous stories. And we bought our house and I bought it for 135000 <laughs> And I sold it for 135000 So I had a bit of a, a, a challenge with my first foray into property. And then when I bought this, or we bought this, I should say, I was like, what have I done? I've just paid far too much for something. We secured it outside of auction. and But then it didn't go up immediately. It took time. But by the time the GFC did its rebound, I want to talk to you about you buying in COVID times in GFC. When the when the GFC did its rebound after, what was that, 2008? Was that yeah, around there? Yep. Yeah, it jumped up to around 800K at that point. And, you know, it'd be similar. It'd be worth, I don't know, two and a half probably today. So you're talking a massive trajectory, but was never straightforward. And it went up and it corrected a little bit and then it shot up again. For you buying in, in times like COVID and GFC, what, what is your thinking around that? You just, you don't try and time markets or Look, there's I, an opportunity? It's hard, right? And it's hard to time any market. I mean, if you listen to the media during COVID times, they were talking about a 30% correction and everyone was freaking that's out. Right. And that's yep. when we purchased. And I, I'd <laughs> rather purchase when everyone's freaking out and everyone's holding back because there's more opportunity to get yourself a good deal and, and you know, get the pick of the litter in essence yep, versus... I mean, you've seen over the last 12 months, the Sydney market is absolutely nuts. Um, I'm on the Northern Beaches, which had some of the best growth. And there were people out there paying, you know, $2.5 million for a little shack on a, a block of land on a main road sort of thing. Um, it was, it is still like that. It, it's slowing down as we go, but um, it's, it's nuts. So I'd always rather buy CounterCycle, but in the whole scheme of things, as long as you buy a good property, good area, and you're happy with the purchase to hold on to it for a long period of time, like I'm, I'm one of the old school, I, I want to buy something, I want to hold it forever. Um, there's no reason why I need to sell it and just usually pull equity and purchase another one, pull equity, purchase another one and build that portfolio. There, there shouldn't be a reason to sell unless... Like I had, so I had four properties. I had to sell two of the smaller ones. So I sold my yep. apartment in DUI and my apartment in, in Brunswick um, yep. because I had a, a jewel key property in Newcastle, which was a cash cow. I had a, a house in, in Brisbane, which is a cash cow as well. And then I wanted to buy the house in Alambi. And the only way I could buy the house in the Lambie was to uh, rid myself of some debt so that I could upgrade. Yep. So what I've essentially done is is transfer from from a, a one-bedroom apartment in DY to a house in the Northern Beaches. So same area, but you're just getting something better. Yeah, I've had a couple of clients that have done something similar. They, um, I have one client in particular that long-term wanted the big family home but had no easy way of getting into it because, you know, we were talking a couple of million dollars. Yeah. And, um, and they did that very thing. They knew they had to invest. They knew they needed to be in the market quickly for as long a cycle as possible. They were able to sell down and go and essentially almost pay cash for their family home at the end of it. 
Um, but now they have to start. They were young enough that they could then start an investing strategy after that. Because often, um, and tell me, I'm sure you un- you agree, you can't always have your cake and eat it at the same time. No. It's it's about choosing what a priority is for you, and then getting that under your belt, and then moving on to the next thing. It's not always as simple as you know. I want the awesome house and I want to invest at the same time and I want to retire in seven years time and I want an income of 200k in retirement <laughs> it's a yeah to, to give you an idea like a, I would have loved at the stage that you know a few years ago I would have loved to spend two and a half million dollars on a house in freshwater and at that stage that was what my portfolio was worth but yeah. I was living in a share house in a share apartment, renting a room because I would rather spend $250 on a room and have four properties that all had income coming in and I was positive cash flow and continued to, I still had the, you know, that $2.5 million worth of property, but other people were paying my mortgage and I was actually positive cash flow by five or $600 a week, which was then paying down more debt and giving me more um, money for, for another deposit for, for another property. So, Perfect. or I could have bought a two and a half million dollar property and little old me is trying to pay that mortgage by himself. So things have changed over the last, what is it? Three, four years. Uh, met my partner where we bought this place, mm. but um, <laughs> yeah, obviously priorities changed there as well. Yeah. <laughs> want to live in a share house. But, uh, <laughs> you can do it while you can. And, you know, you, you pay off as much debt, you, you get as much property as you can and hold on to as much uh, of that as you can as well. Mm, wise words, my friend. I know um, I always joke that Vin and I lived like students for 20 years while we invested. <laughs> we It drove my daughter nuts. I don't think she's ever forgiven me because literally the second she moved out at 22 or 23, um, we started planning a renovation, which we didn't undertake until lit- we finished literally just before COVID hit, thank God. So we've turned this tiny little two-bedroom cottage into essentially it's a the size of a three-bedroom townhouse, right? So it's um one of your inner city single-fronted old Edwardians that have been modernized at the back. And we gutted and ripped that out. And it's so nice now having just a place that when you clean it, it feels clean yeah. because we had literally got to the point where everything was falling apart because we like what you were saying, we put money into our investing, we chose our investing, and we chose a bit of travel and lifestyle over over a home. And yeah. not it's not everyone's preference, and it's okay if your priority is the family home and you're more inclined to nest. For me, I can be quite pragmatic about stuff, and if I have a goal, which I had for financial security, Um, that was a precedent for me. And it sounds like you've made some similar choices which have afforded you now to do um, the more lifestyle stuff around your home and have a a wonderful place to live. But you've still done some hard yards on that. We have, I have. So we are- some (laughs) trade-offs. I'll be closing on about $400,000 with the renovations. We we even put a, uh, well, we're doing owner builders. We're saving. If if I was to get someone else to do it, it'd probably be- close to 650 to do what we've done and we'll probably spend 
400, but we did own a builder. We did the DAs ourselves. Uh, we've wow. done two kitchens, three bathrooms, new flooring, repainted inside and out, reclad the house, the whole backyard's been transformed by a landscape architect, uh, landscape, you know, landscapers, sorry. Um, new front fences, you name it, everything's been done. Um, but that also, even the small things. So I, I went on Gumtree and, and Facebook Marketplace and found a developer who was selling an old display kitchen and got all the cabinetry for $2,500, which was worth about $25,000. Um, got the appliances for half what they were. They're all melee appliances. I'd never go out and spend wow. $23,000 on melee appliances, which is fridge, oven, cooktop, range hood, sink, everything. And I got it for eleven. dollars e- Even the... The kitchen downstairs for the granny flat that I've built, that's all melee appliances as well. Again, from another display suite where we got the discount on. So vanities, I went to uh, an auction warehouse in Smithfield out in the west of Sydney, and they've got twelve to $1,500 vanities for 350 bucks. Anyone looking for a vanity or anything to do with the kitchens and bathrooms <laughs> or anything? Um, I'll get a little bit of a plug to Renovay's Auctions in Smithfield. Uh, they got some great deals. Very they did the auctions on Saturday and building materials on Wednesday. Oh. Hopefully, I get a cut for that. It's a great tip. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Mickey. It's awesome. And how do you think has, and this isn't a leading question, I'm just genuinely curious, has mm. being in the environment, being surrounded by people like Breno, Sam Sagers and so forth, has that, has that given you a different outlook on your original strategy or have you still pretty much followed essentially you know what you learned from your father around money habits investing tell me a little bit about that yeah no look, pressure. I, I don't <laughs> think I would have purchased interstate if it wasn't or even oh, probably yeah. outside of of Sydney to be completely yeah. honest uh, look, I still would have done really well. Cash flow-wise, it would have been a different story yeah. because, yeah. Um, I mean, I purchased a, a dual-key property in Newcastle, which is something like a 7.5% yield at the moment, which was bought in Ooh, 2017. Nice. Yep. So same right. thing with the, the house in, in Brisbane. I mean, yeah. I, I think I would have definitely just bought Northern Beaches and I would have done well, but I would have been yeah. my hand in my pocket every week to, to, yeah. to do that slow you down maybe yeah I, I would have had to buy apartments i wouldn't have been able to buy uh houses uh they're just too expensive yeah. at that stage so yeah. it would have changed my lifestyle i would have had yeah. to um really instead of earning money every week five six hundred dollars a week i would have been paying five or six hundred dollars a week to to pay my debt on my investments mm. so it, it would have been different um yeah it'd be interesting it'd be yeah. interesting yeah so. Yeah, I'm just always interested to see, you know, how how it's changed people's psychology around their investing. Yeah. And um, I heard you say something that I just want to hone in on. <laughs> uh, I heard you say granny flat downstairs. Yeah. So, so even though you've got the dream home, you're still looking at cash flow options for yourself. Am, this is what I, I love about what you're doing. Well, yep. look, purchase <laughs> the property with the understanding that we'll start a family. And um, to do that, we'll obviously drop onto one income. Uh, the last thing you need to, to really worry about when you're having a family and you've got kids is, is, look, yeah. does your partner need to go back to work? Uh, and sometimes you, you don't want them to have to go back to work. You want them to be able to, you know, 
be with the kids and and not have to go to childcare or instead go to play dates with other people's kids instead so that when they go to primary school hey that's a different story at that stage the kids have had all the nurturing uh they could ever want and then you can make a decision at that stage to do what you want so look what we'll do with the granny flat after that whole you know who knows when that's all going to be finished um <laughs> but for, for the short term it, it fit in with what we wanted to do with our life we, we don't want to stress about money we want to you know go through the next decade of do we want a new couch hey we can afford it because the tenant downstairs is is paying half of our mortgage uh yeah. do, do we want to go on an on a holiday or do we need to upgrade the car it, it's not about that you know I, I, I don't like the thought of having to worry about the cash flow side of of uh, of owning a property and and that's the best way of you can own your own home you can have nice mm. things you can have a nice garden backyard front yard but still you know you have that opportunity to worry less about the cash flow Hmm. I like how you think and I like um, your approach to that cash flow. I've had a number of clients that have bought um, investment properties and they've been single. So as you know, when you're um, single, if your servicing's not that great, it can be a bit of a challenge getting moving and getting properties under your belt. And yeah. a number of them choose to um, have a, a border in the second bedroom and so forth. And it provides some fantastic servicing um, or... Or if they're, um, if it's not a formal lease, let's say that it just <laughs> just helps with cash flow, right? So um, well, that was my first property. I had that loft in the, uh, in yeah, the tower. yeah, that wasn't a formal lease. That was just one hundred and fifty dollars a week put in my hand, <laughs> and that that was spent right. on groceries, petrol, and and maybe going for a few beers. <laughs> yeah, no, fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> Um, and I've just got uh, the one that got away. I've made a couple of notes on uh, on my uh, research on you, uh, young man. So uh, the <laughs> got a list. One that got away. Oh, you got a list. Ones that got away. <laughs> I think if if you work in the industry, you've got a passion for real estate and investing. There's there's more than one, right? Um, I, I guess the first <laughs> one that got away was. Um, just before I went traveling in 2011. So I bought my first property about to go away for three years. And I saw this two bedroom terrace in, in Manly. It was $650,000. Now, if you buy a two bedroom terrace in Manly these days, you're probably looking close to oh, 1.8 to $2 million. Um, and I thought I should buy that, but I thought, oh, I don't want to wrap up all my cash in another investment property when I'm just about to go away for a year traveling. And that would have really restricted me because I went away for three years and I definitely wouldn't have been able to do that. So I, I wish I bought it, but then I also look back and say, uh, and think that I think I got more out of yeah. being away and, and seeing all these different countries. And um, I think I got more out of it completely, completely. Yeah. But then yeah. another one, 2015, I, I missed out on a three bedroom apartment in, in Manly again. Um, that was $900,000 and I just couldn't get to that 900 at that stage um, with my current portfolio. And um, I think there was also 2015 a, a house in Freshwater on a main road, but uh, that was 990 I think it was. So if, if you bought, that sounds expensive maybe, but that same house would be worth probably close to $3 million now. Yes. Seven years, triple your value. So it's, it's hard. Things 
stings a bit, doesn't it? It stings a bit. It yeah. does. <laughs> I, I remember I looked at, um, I went through a phase of my investing where I was uh, following a strata titling strategy. So yeah. we'd go into largely regional towns, um, you know, decent ones like your Gosfords, your so forth. And you'd buy a block, small block of units, maybe four apartments or three townhouses in a line, four townhouses in a line. And you'd get the subdivision through because um, they wouldn't have been subdivided. And then the theory is, is you make equity. Um, and we were doing that. And at one point I started looking around Sydney because Sydney was going through a flat period. And I was in areas that were affordable. So yeah. I ended up, in at that time in Liverpool and I remember looking at a block of eight units in Liverpool for what would have worked out if I'd purchased them 150k per two-bedroom unit there were eight two-bedders in Liverpool so what's that can you do the maths on that eight, so that's 1.2 yeah so 1.2 and I was like oh I just don't know if I can spend a million dollars just in one, it was just that number. Yeah. And because everything I was buying, I was buying Biloxi units back then for, I don't know, like 600, 700 grand. And that was just a scary number to me. And when you think, you know, what would they be, even in a basic state, what would they be worth today? 400, 500 each, maybe? At least. It was the old style, you know, old the brick, the yellow brick. Average it out. You're probably looking at maybe 450, 500. Yep. So let's go 450. Yeah, three and a half. Yeah. That one, that one's always got my goat. It yeah. hurt. Yeah, yeah. So what I did was I went and bought two blocks of units down in Batemans Bay in a regional town that didn't see growth until just recently. You have them still? <laughs> hey? Do you still have them? I've literally just sold them at the end of last year because um the bushfires went through and came yeah. within a hundred meters. Um, of my front door and yeah. the market rebounded crazily and um, and they got some phenomenal growth in a really short period of time, helped along by COVID. Yeah. And they're at that age, um, Mickey, where everything needs doing. And it was that thing that you've done with your um, units where we're migrating that money into um, a better class of property. So, But we waited yeah, good 13, 14 years to do that. <laughs> you could have made another podcast about you going down there and renovating yourselves, putting your overalls on and giving <laughs> it go. Not, not, not my skill set. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually banned, true story, from painting and glue in this house because I glue scissors together, you know, so you can't open them with super yeah. glue. I love super glue. I try it on everything. And I recently tried to paint a blackboard in my butler's pantry so I could write my grocery list, and I managed to get it over everything, the new tiles, the, <laughs> the wall. So I'm officially banned. It's not my skill set. I've banned my dad from painting at our house. He's very much of a – he's really good at lots of things, but he just gets the brush and just goes like this. He's messy. Oh, I, I can't stand it. I can't it. be I'm, asked. Oh. I do not have an attention for detail. I, I, I need that. I need to be able to do it. And I won't let anyone else do it now because I, I just seen so many people just not do it to the quality that I want. So I thought, nah, everyone stand back. Like, don't worry about coming over. I'll just do it. 
I need to do it in my way. You are exactly the same as my husband. Can I tell you, when we when we bought this place, it had been that the person that had had it had taken out all the old windows and put the aluminium sliding ones in. It's it's Edwardian. So we went through and put the Edwardian windows back in and we had to paint them. So I start painting and I'm like, fuck, this is, excuse my French, this is boring. <laughs> so I start doing this, right? I paint all over the hinges everything I just boop, 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 mask like absolute crap and my husband takes one look at it and he takes the paintbrush out of my hand and he said why don't you go and have a cup of tea I can see you're tired and I was like gosh that's nice I come I come back in with my cup of tea he's taken the windows off the hinges pulled them all out is sanding down all of the stuff that I've painted and he's like, you just, just don't even come near it. He had to sand them all right down and repaint them from scratch and reattach them to the house. So yeah, painting and me. I, I had the first time that uh, my partner, Samantha started to help with some of the painting and um, I saw what she was doing. She's, she's good, but not, you know, I won't, I won't bad mouth her. But I, we had the conversation about redistributing the, the the chores in a way where how about I just continue painting because it you know you don't want to be reaching up and stretching the paint fumes you don't like them so why don't you go do something in the other room and I'll I'll keep going with this so in a nice I'm good way. at knocking shit out <laughs> give me something to demolish. <laughs> um, although I am known for hurting myself, so um, the classic. If you could give your younger self some advice, knowing what you know today, what would you say to young Mickey? Oh, look, I, I came close when I first purchased my first property, which is a one-bedroom apartment in DY, um, to stretch in by another $80,000 because it's 320000 I could have maybe got to that to the 400,000 and there was a two bedroom apartment with no kitchen. It'd been ripped out by someone who got halfway through a reno and abandoned it. And mm. I wish I'd, I'd stretched to the, to that one. And I think the big lesson out of that is to always stretch and strive for the slightly better property in the slightly better suburb. Um, mm. And better suburb doesn't mean the best suburb on, on, on the peninsula or, or wherever you live, it, it might be the bridesmaid suburb, the one that's right next door to that one. So um, it could be the the worst suburb in the best region or something like that. So try and try and stretch, especially for the first one, because it's going to be yeah. a long time sometimes between your first and your second. You have yeah. to create more equity from property growth or savings. So if you're talking about stretching an extra twenty percent, and you can do it. Go for the better quality property for, to start with, because it might be three years between the first and second. So that that would be my that's my a good best lesson. Advice. That's a good lesson. It comes down to mindset and fear, and mm. it's something that we see a lot when you're coaching people. And exactly what I did with that two purchases and Batemans that felt safer at a lower price point, but in reality was far riskier because they don't have the employment, they have a low um, wage base because there's a lot of retirees and tourism, um, whereas, you know, Liverpool, relatively central still in Sydney. I mean, it, when, you, when you talk about risk, what was riskier? Yeah. But it was my comfort zone and my fear around a number 
that got in the way of me making a quality investment choice. And I think, I think that's a really important lesson and one that we haven't pulled out from any of the podcasts so far yeah. is that sometimes being comfortable is not the best thing. Sometimes you need to be a little uncomfortable to get a good result. I think that's um, a very important lesson. Anything to add? Anything I've missed? Anything you want to share with people about investing before we wrap it up? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I think. I think that's sort of a holistic approach around. Yep. You know what what we've done here and and what anyone can really achieve. Um, yeah. I think that the biggest takeaway that anyone who, who's thinking about investing is um, get in as early as you can, buy good quality real estate and hold it for the long term. Uh, you're not going to, I see so many ads out there on, on Facebook where people are saying, you know, five properties in five years or, you know, pay off your property in five to seven years and stuff like that. And 99% of the time it's not realistic. So it, it's about, buying, holding, buying good quality real estate and in the long term, you will do well. There's no there's no fast way to, to get rich unless you're buying crypto and, hey, <laughs> hold on for the ride. <laughs> it can go up and go down. And I've got crypto. It's it's a it's a nightmare. It's a heartache. It's one of those things where you look at it and go, shit, it's down 20%. It's up 20%. Uh, oh. I just don't look at it anymore. Just leave it. You know, I'll, I'll look at it in 10 years. Hopefully. Uh, good advice. <laughs> I don't have any crypto. I don't have any crypto. I'm being 53. I'm at that stage where I'm, I am being a little bit more conservative about uh, my approach with my investing and uh, anything I'm doing. <laughs> and it feels nice. <laughs> it does. Uh, it does. It does. When you, especially when you got that bit of, bit of base, I think, you know, it is a nice feeling. But, you know, you do have to stretch it and you do have to take action. You've got to have good quality habits and you've got to be clear on what your goals are, I think, as a, as a starting point for your investing. And I think, sir, yeah, that's what you've done really well. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, and um, uh, thanks yeah. for having me. <laughs> thanks for being on. Cheers, Mickey. Okay, cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to Property Investor Tales. Remember to subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode drops. As you can guess, I love hearing people's property investor tales. So if you'd like to share yours, then please get in touch with me via email at propertyinvestortales at positivementor.com.au. We would also love your feedback and I would appreciate a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember, you can watch all of these podcasts over on YouTube at Positive Mentor or at positivementor.com.au. Until then, take care, happy investing, and bye for now.